This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Works here in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wednesday night service. We are going to have the hour of power. I can't wait till we can do it again in person together. But until then, man, we're going to make the most of every opportunity. We have a great message for you tonight here in just a few minutes talking about what's going to happen while we're in heaven during the great tribulation period. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to learn a lot. But first, let's get into some praise and worship. Everyone, we're going to worship the Lord together. I've got Ray's going to help me play tonight. So let's just all, wherever you're at in your homes or wherever, let's all sing to the Lord together. Oh, 
All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get into the word tonight. Believe it or not, this is part six of our end times teaching series. And we started this right after the quarantine and everything began. So that kind of shows us how far we are into things. And, you know, it's been very interesting as we've spent the first few weeks kind of looking at prophecies that have already been fulfilled and then prophecies that are currently right now at our exact time in history being fulfilled. And we've seen the rapture. We've seen all sorts of things. We've covered a lot of ground over the past five or six weeks here. And tonight uh, we're going to look at something that's an interesting topic that I don't want to get overlooked at all. I want this to be covered because it's very important to you and to me. Now, we studied last week how the Great Tribulation will begin once the church is raptured out and we are no longer restraining the evil, we are no longer restraining the Antichrist. And so just to review a little bit, once the world goes completely haywire and, and it's in the worst shape it's ever been because all the Christians, all the godly people are gone, people will be searching for answers. They'll be desperate for anybody that seems to have any source of hope, any source of light and answers. And that will obviously pave the way for the Antichrist to uh, come on the scene. And people at first will just think he's a, you know, a, a great leader, uh, somebody that has answers, somebody that can help them in their time of need. And he'll spend his first little time uh, seemingly doing that. And then the, especially the second half of that seven year period, it's going to be complete and utter horror, chaos, insanity. His true colors will show, and a lot of stuff's going to happen. We saw the mark of the beast, where he's going to make it where nobody can buy or sell anything. You can't, you can't get any basic goods and commodities. No milk, no bread, no, uh, no gas for your car, nothing, unless you have uh, this mark of the beast, which it says will be in your right hand or your forehead. And so that's kind of some crazy stuff to look at. And really one of his main goals that he's going to promise is going to be to have world peace and just unite everybody. And, and people are going to think, yeah, we got to be united. We've got to be, if, if everybody could just, you know, be one world, one, one, one nation. And, and that's basically what it's going to come down to trying to make all the nations into just one world government and one uh, world power and then some things are going to go really really crazy and and again we aren't going to be here for that if we've really accepted Jesus and we're living for him so while all that's going on down below here on earth we will be in heaven already because Jesus came and snatched us away and pulled us out before it got super crazy. And uh, during that period, there are going to be some things that we are doing in heaven. You know, we're not just going to be sitting around up there. But today I want to look at just a couple things uh, that's going to be taking place for us in heaven while we're there. And this is exciting to me, man. I can't wait for all this to happen, but we're going to take a look at this. Let's go ahead and open in prayer that I want you to take as good a notes as you can and just focus for me for 15, 20 minutes here as we cover some ground. But let's go ahead and pray. 
Father, in Jesus name, Lord, we thank you that we've got the opportunity to study your word, Lord, even if we're not in the same building, God, you know, we're going to get there. But until then, we thank you that we've got uh, this opportunity to study together. And Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts today to your word and show us what we need to see. Lord, we thank you that that this is an exciting time for us. Lord, it's not a time of fear. It's an exciting time because we fully expect you soon. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. And so a couple things here. What's going to happen next for us when we do get to heaven? Now, the first thing that I'm going to talk about and the things I'm saying, I'm not I'm not telling you this is the exact order of of day one, but I'm just going to look at a couple of things tonight. And the first thing I'm going to look at is this. Number one, the judgment seat of Christ. And I can basically see I said that word judgment and that people are cowering and, you know, think that that's just such an evil word. And the judgment seat of Christ is not something that we need to be afraid of at this point in time. And the reason that I'm saying that is, is because if you're at the judgment seat of Christ, man, it means that you have made it to heaven. Now, we'll talk later. There's another uh, throne of judgment called the great white throne of judgment. And if you're at the great white throne of judgment discussed in Revelation 20, it means you are not going to heaven. And that is uh, we don't want to be at the great white throne of judgment that that is coming down to uh, judging uh, the righteousness that you thought you had. You thought that you were good enough, your self-righteousness, and it's not good enough to get you into heaven. That's why we've got to have Jesus and we're counting on his righteousness and that he called us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not righteous Because of how good I am. I'm righteous because of how amazing Jesus is. So I'm not counting on my righteousness. But the judgment seat of Christ. First place we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10. And, you know, as we're talking about uh, righteousness and the judgment seat of Christ here. Listen, uh, you're going to see because there's much confusion in our day and age. And it's it's scary how many people think words like holiness and and judgment are bad words and they're not. And I'm even going to throw this this uh, word out there in a little bit works. Good works. And and then I know that's going to surely make some minds explode because as New Testament Christians, we aren't concerned about that at all. I very much care about doing good works for Jesus. I very much care about being a holy person and 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 all this stuff, even though I'm a wonderful believer in the grace of God. But I very much believe in doing my best for Jesus, putting work in, putting effort in. And I know that, again, that's not a super popular topic in the modern day. But 2 Corinthians 5.10, the New King James, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so talking to Christians here, it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to receive the things done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. And so while the tribulation is taking place down below, we're going to be in heaven and and hopefully receiving our rewards in heaven for the good things that we've done here on this earth. So the good things that we do here on earth Do not get us into heaven. That's not our ticket to heaven. The good things we do, but the good things we do for Jesus down here do get us rewards when we get to heaven. 
And I hope you'll see this as we go further along here. So the good things I do down here, my obedience to God's word, the, the, the faithfulness that I'm trying to, to, to give and teach my kids, the good things that I'm doing, that's not going to get me to heaven. Accepting Jesus gets me to heaven, but they will get me rewards in heaven. And, you know, we're all going to stand before Jesus and answer for the things that we've done in this world. Whether you want to believe that or not, that doesn't matter. It's still going to happen. And so we're going to stand before Jesus and we will be rewarded or talked to about the things that we did here, whether good or bad. And so Matthew 16, verse 27, again in the New King James Matthew 16 and verse 27, and we've got several verses tonight that we're going to flip to, so hopefully you're pretty quick on the flip there. Matthew 16 and verse 27, it says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Did he just say the word works? Did he just say reward some people? It says right there that he, number one, is going to come in the glory of his father with the angels. So that sounds like the rapture. And then when we get up there, it says he will reward each according to his works. So let me say this again, as I said in a few words a minute ago. You get to heaven by Jesus' work. Jesus the work that he did, the complete and finished work on the cross, that gets me to heaven, but I get rewarded in heaven according to my work. So I get to heaven by Jesus' work, and I'll get rewarded in heaven according to the work that I've done down here for him. Proverbs 24.12. Let's look at Proverbs 24.12, and I'm going to read this one in the Living Bible. Proverbs 24, verse 12. The last part of this, it says, for God who knows all hearts knows yours and he knows you knew and he will reward everyone according to his deeds. And so we've looked at a few verses here that talk about rewards and, and it's according to your deeds and according to the work that you do for Jesus down here on this earth. So what? are some of these rewards. I mean, is he going to write me a check up there because I don't need money? Is he going to give me some extra gold because there's plenty to go around? Am I going to be employee of the month? What are the rewards that we're talking about when we get to heaven? It's not stock options or something crazy like that. But one of the main things that scripture mentions as being rewards for us in heaven is crowns. And we're, you know, in our Western mind, you know, we're not familiar with kings and different things like that. So we're like, okay, well, what, what good is that going to do? Why would I want a crown? It doesn't mean a lot to us sometimes where we live in the Western world. But in Bible times and in heaven, this is a huge deal. That's a big thing to, to, to have. a. It symbolizes and means a lot. And so a few verses here discussing crowns. James 1 verse 12. And I'm going to tell you in a minute what, what's going to happen with those crowns. It's not so you can start your personalized trophy collection and, and brag to your neighbors. Well, I earned this one over here by donating to the Salvation Army. And, and this crown right here, this is a good one. I earned this from that time that I, I, I served at church. It's not like that. James 1 verse 12. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life 
that God has promised to those who love him. And so it tells us right now there's a crown of life promised to those who love God if we patiently endure testing and temptation. Okay, that sounds awesome. First Peter five, verse four. So first Peter five, verse four. Here's another reference to crowns. It says, and when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never ending glory and honor. And so there's another New Testament reference to us receiving a crown, a never ending crown of glory and honor. How about one more while we're at it? Revelation 3:11. We're on a roll here. Revelation 3 and verse 11. And here's another reference to uh, the crown. And so Jesus, these are words in red, says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. And so notice a few of these passages about crowns we looked at here have to do with our holding on, not giving in to temptation, enduring. And so this tells me that as a Christian, it is super important that I don't let go of Jesus, that I just simply remain faithful to him and not wander away and, and, and backslide and turn lukewarm. And, and he's not asking me to go out and, and, you know, absolutely single-handedly change the entire world and single-handedly do the, the, the impossible. One of the main things that Jesus is asking of us is to just stay faithful to him. And there's a great reward for that in the end. And so what is the purpose of these crowns that it's talking about, of the rewards that it promises us in heaven? Is it to make yourself look awesome? Is it so you can collect as many as you can and say, "Ha, I got more than this guy? No, that's not the reason, because at that point, it would turn into selfishness. Well, I, I better go feed this many homeless. I better serve this many Sundays in nursery. I better give this much money in the offering so I can have the most rewards when I get to heaven because I want to have more than Cletus. I want to have more than Nick. I want to have more than Lawrence. No, it would turn into selfishness. The reason for these crowns, for these rewards that we're going to get in heaven is not for us to keep to ourselves and, and, and hoard up as many trophies as we can to fill up our trophy case. Let's look what this is all about. Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. And this is a beautiful passage to me because I am eagerly anticipating this day and this, this, uh, this moment in time. Revelation 4, Verses 9 through 11, and this is talking about being at the throne of God. It says, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. Come on, guys, that's talking about Jesus. It says the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And what do they do? They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. And what are they doing? They are worshiping the Lord and they are giving us the example of what to do. These elders of 
laying down our crowns at the feet of Jesus. That's the purpose of the rewards. That's the purpose of the crowns. And so when I get to the throne of God, when I finally get there, the moment I've waited for forever and ever, I don't have to walk up to the throne simply empty handed. Hey, I'd rather be there even empty handed than not be there at all. But I want to give Jesus my best. I want to be able to walk up to that throne with many crowns and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, this is for you, Jesus. Those things that I did that you told me to do, those times that I didn't feel like it, but I did it anyway. The the times that I was tempted to walk away and quit, but I didn't. Lord, I just want to lay these down. And I want to worship you. Can I worship you for a little bit? Can I can I just spend some time at your feet? And and listen, it, it's nice to go, you know, say there's a party, a big party going on. I mean, everybody wants to go and it's nice to just get to go. But I don't want to show up to the party empty handed. I want to have something for the host. I want to have something for the person of honor. And at this time, that's Jesus. And I don't want to show up empty handed while everybody else has gifts and things to lay down. I want to have something to lay down at the feet of Jesus. And I'm telling you, man, this is going to be just the most beautiful moment ever when we're finally right there at the literal, actual throne of God. And, you know, maybe if you're a lukewarm Christian out there, don't raise your hand right now. We don't need you to identify yourself. But for some people, they're hearing this about the throne of God and laying crowns down. And they're like, yeah, well, I mean, I guess if that's your sort of that doesn't mean anything to them. But some people listening right now, they're hearing this and there's tears coming to their eyes. They're hearing this and and it's only motivating them even more so to do their best for Jesus, because when you love him so much, you want to give him everything. You want to give him your absolute best. And at that moment, it's not going to be about us. It's going to be all about him. And again, if you're lukewarm, I, you know, I'm not making fun of you, but I don't, I don't expect this to do that much for you. But if you're an on fire for Jesus Christian, that about makes you just burst into tears thinking of that moment and laying down the rewards and the things at the feet of Jesus. And so that's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Again, Revelation 20 talks about the great white throne. That's kind of a that's a, not a fun thing to, to think about. But when you get there, when, when a non-Christian gets there, they're going to stand before God because everybody has to. And they're going to answer for the things that they did in this life. And the biggest thing is that they chose to not receive Jesus. They're going to try to argue their way into heaven and lay out their case before God, but it's not going to work. And then they're going to be uh, thrown into hell and receive their uh, their judgment. And I, I, I hate to even think about that, but I can't deny the fact that the Bible tells us it's going to happen. Revelation 20. Right. And so the second thing tonight is this number two. Because I told you I'm just going to discuss a couple things. Number two is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is something else that's going to be taking place in heaven during the great tribulation period. And we're going to be at this party, at this marriage supper of the Lamb. And so let's look at Revelation 19. Revelation 19. And we're going to look here at uh, verses 6 through 10. Revelation 19. 
verses 6 through 10. And this is, man, this is beautiful. This is something else that I like to, to think about. Revelation 19, verses 6 through 10. It says, then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Man, that gets me excited just reading it. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb or the marriage supper of the lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. The good deeds. There it is again. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. And so, I mean, I'm just trying to picture this whole thing. This sounds like an exciting time to be praising and worshiping and and just feasting with the Lamb, with Jesus. And as I've said, this isn't going to be just any old party. I mean, hey, I've been to some lame parties. I've been to some, you know, just <laughs> not that good a time parties. This isn't going to be some lame thing. This is going to be the biggest party and celebration that you could ever even imagine. And to understand all this a little bit better, we got to kind of understand the Jewish wedding customs of the day. And so I'm just going to break this down real quick. These wedding customs, there's three major parts to the Jewish wedding customs of that day. And I mean, I can't speak to the modern day, but at least of the Bible times. First, a marriage contract was signed by the parents of the bride and the groom and the parents of the groom, or maybe even the groom himself, would pay a dowry to the bride or her parents. This began the engagement period. And so I'm thinking of Mary and Joseph, a story that we're familiar with, where they were engaged and so they must have had they they've already been through step one of this process. But the second step in the process usually occurred a year later when the groom, accompanied by his friends, the groomsmen, so to speak, they went to the house of the bride at midnight and they created a torchlight parade through the streets. And it's an exciting time, a big time, a celebration. The bride would know in advance that this was going to take place. So she knew about what time frame it would take place, even if she didn't know the exact hour. And she'd be ready with her friends, her, her bridesmaids, so to speak. And they'd all join the parade and then they'd end up at the groom's home. And this custom is kind of the basis of the parable of the ten virgins that you've probably read in Matthew 25. And I'm going to read that in just a few minutes. So that was phase number two, the big procession and, and the groom coming to pick up the bride and take her to his home. And then the third phase was the marriage supper, the big party itself. And this could go on for days and days. It was a big party. And we kind of see an example of that in uh, at the wedding of Cana in John chapter two, when we know Jesus turned the water into wine and everything. So. Looking at that, that's kind of the history of of some of the stuff we're looking at as far as the 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 marriage and the wedding supper and all this stuff. And so I'm going to show you quickly here how it has is playing out in regards to us being the bride of Christ. OK, so the first phase is completed 
on earth. When we place our faith in Jesus as savior, the dowry or the, the payment is paid by the groom's father, which God did. And uh, that would be when he paid the blood of Christ uh, shed on the bride's behalf, on our behalf. And so the church on earth today then is sort of, so to speak, figuratively speaking, engaged to Christ. And like the wise virgins in the parable that we're going to read in a few minutes, we're commanded right now to be watching and waiting because he's coming with great glory. It's going to be a whole big show. He's coming and we're just waiting for him to show up. And that's the phase uh, you know, that, that we're waiting on. And so the, the second phase symbolizes the rapture of the church when Christ comes to claim the bride. The groom comes to claim the bride and take her home with him. And that's going to be happening next. And then the marriage supper, which we just read about taking place in heaven. So I want to close out tonight by reading the parable of the ten virgins. And that's in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25 verses 1 through 3, because if you're like me, maybe you've read this a lot of times and you're like, hey, that that's cool. That's a neat story. But if you've got a little bit, just a little bit further understanding of what I just explained to you regarding the wedding customs and 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 the Jewish uh, ceremonies of the day, it makes a little bit more sense now. So Matthew 25 verses uh, 1 through 13. This is Jesus talking. Notice it's Matthew 25 directly after Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. And so Jesus goes through uh, telling us right there about 51 verses of prophecy of what the, what the end times are going to be like. And then immediately follows right here going into the parable of the ten bridesmaids. So he says all this is going to happen. And then he gives us an example. Matthew 25, 1 through 13, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And that reminds me of a lot of people in our day and age. They were prepared at one point. They're like, hey, I'm good. I got enough. But it's taken a while. We maybe you thought, well, I thought he was going to come last year. I thought it was going to be 10 years ago. I've been waiting. And so some people, they've become drowsy. They've just fallen asleep and they, are, they don't even know what's going on. They're totally out of it, spiritually speaking right now. Verse six, at midnight, when they were aroused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. That sounds to me like the trumpet of God at the rapture. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, wait, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, that's when the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready, I'm talking about the real born again Christians, went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. We're ready now. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too, Jesus said, must keep watch. For you do not know the day or the hour of my return. 
And so I'm telling you right now, I, I want to be like one of those wise women right there, one of those wise brides. And I want to be prepared. I, I, you know, I don't know the day or the hour he's coming, but I want to be ready. And I don't want him to say when I, when I hear that trumpet, hold on, give me 10 minutes. I got to go get some things in order. I got to go take care of a bunch of stuff. Just give me a few more minutes. He's not going to wait. He's coming when he's coming, whether you're ready or not. He is coming. And so my encouragement for us, especially those that have belonged to the Lord and, and, and been a born again Christian, do like Jesus said right here. So you too must keep watch. Be prepared, man. Have, stay close to Jesus. Don't let him come while you're out backsliding somewhere. Stick close to him and we're going to be ready for all this. I'm going to close this in prayer tonight and I'm going to do like we've done so many times. If you're not ready, if you're one of the foolish ones right there, and maybe you at one point you were all prepared and waiting for Jesus, but you got bored, you got distracted, you walked off, you wandered away. We're going to pray right now. And if maybe you're somebody that's just never really had a relationship with Jesus, let's take care of this. There's no need to go on because it's Wednesday. What if he comes back on Thursday? I don't know. But I want you to be ready. Let's pray together. I want you to repeat this after me. Say this. Father, in Jesus name. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died and that he rose again and that he's coming back. Jesus, forgive me for anything wrong I've done. Help me to live for you. I want to give you my best. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, reach out, message us, let us know. We will hook you up. We will disciple you. We will make sure that you are ready. I'm so excited that you prayed with us tonight. We love you guys, and we can't wait to be together again someday really soon. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and do our Wednesday night tithes and offerings. And I want to again say a great big thank you, church family, for your faithfulness during this time. I, again, it's been sad to see so many uh, people across the nation and churches struggling. And all glory to God and thanks to the HGWC family that you guys have been faithful. You've taken care of God's house even when we haven't been able to meet in it. And it's, it's been an absolute testimony to your faithfulness and the goodness that's in your heart, man. You just love the Lord so much. And that brings me to the verse I want to share tonight, Philippians 4.19. And I know we've heard this and we've shared it already in the past couple weeks, but it's just, it's dynamite. Philippians 4.19 tells us, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Don't let that just be some verse that goes in one ear and out the other. That is fire, man. That is some good stuff right there. Because when you get that revelation in your heart, you realize that no matter what's going on in this world, hey, it's all right. This world wasn't the source of my supply anyway. God's been my supply the entire time. And so I'm hearing testimonies. We're getting letters in the mail, emails, just awesome stuff, awesome testimonies of how even in the midst of it, even with some people's hours being cut or laid off, that God is still continuously getting the supply, getting the provision to them. And it's because God is our supply. God is our source and he takes care of his people. So 
The information's on your screen there of how you can give. Giving online is great, and there's other ways there too. So praise God, take advantage of that. And someday we're going to be here at the altar doing it together again. But until then, let's take advantage of this. Let's speak some words of faith over the offering. And keep in mind, we do not merely just spout words off. We say these in faith, and we watch God get involved with our finances. Let's say this. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive. Jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth and business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously in the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I love speaking words of faith. And so we're going to close out tonight again with some more words of faith, the Barstow Faith Confession. And it's been incredible how many people have got on board uh, on this with us and have hooked their faith up. So we're speaking these words of faith together. And I, as we close out, uh, man, the, this is the best opportunity you've ever had in your life to share the gospel. Make sure that you take advantage of every possible avenue. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, smash that subscribe button on YouTube, and you are going to have more access to sharing and spreading the gospel than you've ever had before. Let's speak some words of faith over Barstow. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.